And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie, and we're here to take you on an intersectional feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read it but you can't forget, we've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious talking about your new favorite reads. Hello, welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. Hi, I'm Harmony. No, I'm not. Thinking <laughs> <laughs> about too many things there. I'm Maggie, the other one's Harmony. <laughs> oh, here's Ari. Uh, oh, I thought that was TD for a second. I'm excited about Ari too, though. Hi, Ari. I was really excited that it was. I was like, "Oh, it's no. TD." He's gone. <laughs> He's in the middle of the ocean. God damn. Okay, we're reading chapters 31 and onward today of Little Woman. Thank fucking God. All the way to the end of the book, and I wrote half of a summary. Yeah, thank fucking God, because while I enjoyed this book the first time around, it's like a little bit harder to analyze than I thought it would be. Yeah, so I wrote a first, the first half of a summary, and Maggie is just going to improv the rest of the summary. That's fine. <laughs> so what you need to know, Amy goes abroad and receives a proposal from Hottie Fred. She considers it her duty to marry well and considers accepting, even though she doesn't love him. Joe becomes convinced that Beth is in love with Lori. Really, however, Beth is convinced that she's going to die. Spoiler alert, she does. Lori's getting, quote unquote, too fond of Joe. So Joe decides to go work in New York. In New York, Joe meets Mr. Bauer. Is that how we say it? Or Mr. Bear? I'm going to go with Mr. Bear. We're going to call him Mr. Bear because that's cute. Joe meets Mr. Bear, an older professor who she develops a crush on. She also starts writing sensational and maybe raunchy, I think, stories. That is, until Mr. Bear says that people who write stories like that are trashy and Joe becomes ashamed of them. Joe invites Mr. Bear to go with her to Lori's graduation and he declines because he thinks that she has the hots for Lori. Lori graduates college with honors, even though he's a dirty scoundrel and fuckboy in his free time and Lori proposes to Joe and she rips his heart out and stomps on it. All right. What else happens? Mad Mags. Yeah. So after that, Lori has to like go lick his wounds. So he ends up going to Europe with his grandfather, Mr. Lawrence. And after a while, they just kind of like mope together until they end up meeting up with Amy and Nice in France. Lori's only supposed to stay for like a week, but then he ends up staying for a month because he realizes that like he actually enjoys Amy's company. Amy is still kind of figuring out what's happening with like her future while she's there essentially, but ultimately she ends up lecturing Lori because he's being like a mopey mope and not very nice and to his grandfather so she ends up lecturing him and he decides to take her advice and he goes to meet up with his grandfather again and it's like a big turning point between the two of them while all of this is happening Meg and Brooke are having some relationship issues Meg is spending all of her time taking care of her two babies Demi and Daisy and uh, Mr. Brooke is not helping very much and he's like friend's house and stuff so like they're working through some stuff eventually things become okay between the two of them again because brooke like realizes his mistake essentially and he starts spending more time oh no that's not what happened it's because fucking marmy fucking marmy talks to meg and she's like well you need to be making more of an effort to connect with your husband instead of just your children Okay, I'm sorry. We'll talk about that later. Anyways, so Meg does take more time to spend, like, preparing herself, essentially. So she, like, makes him this really nice dinner, and Brooke is all like, for me? And they end up having kind of, like, a relationship breakthrough after that, where he does ultimately spend more time at home with the kids, and, like, they're all together as a family unit more, and, like, things are good there. Um, So that was good news. So yeah, so all that's happening with Meg and Brooke, while... All of that is happening in Europe. Joe is still in New York, essentially just kind of doing New York things, but she's making a lot more money. She eventually comes home because Beth is like 
dying essentially uh so they set up a really nice room for her and stuff and they essentially just take a couple of chapters to have really nice moments together with beth and then beth dies the only person who isn't there is amy amy is still in europe this entire time and then it ends really there's only a couple chapters left at this point to talk about but essentially Lori and amy fall in love and they get married they get married specifically while they're still in europe so that they could travel back to the united states alone and without a chaperone so they get married joe is pretty lonely especially after beth dies she's trying to make life easier for her parents but like she really really misses beth and she's also worried that like she's never really gonna fall in love like she has this crush on mr bear we don't really know how he feels at this point in the novel and like she's also kind of back and forth about how she even actually feels about him so like it she's kind of a mess at this point but she has a lot of money at least like she made good bank writing her stories Lori and amy come home to surprise joe things have gotten better between Lori and joe now that he's married to amy they like go back to their kind of original original brother-sister dynamic. They end up having a baby who they name Beth. And then really the story kind of ends with a happy celebration because everyone's married. Joe eventually gets married to Mr. Bear. They're like separated for a while. Joe builds a school because Aunt March dies and she gets the house. But then a whole novel ends on like a really happy positive note where like they're doing good works and everyone's married and everything's great even though Beth is dead. Yes, and they all have babies. And they all have babies. Yes, but... Well, we'll talk about it when we get to the ending, because there's like a silver lining, I think, for us modern ladies in the ending. We kind of talked about this last episode, but I have written down here as my first question. Amy seems to be living the life Joe always wanted, in part because she's a proper lady. We talked about that a lot last episode, and I don't feel the need to revisit it, Mm -hmm. but it makes me a little bit angry. Let's see. So let's talk about, if you don't mind, Miss Mags. Mm Mm-hmm. The proposal that Laurie makes towards Joe. Yeah. Marmee says, on my version, it is page... On my version, it's page 338. Marmee says... So, says that she's kind of glad that Joe doesn't like Laurie the way that Laurie likes her. She says... Because, dear, I don't think you're suited to one another... As friends, you are very happy and your frequent quarrels soon blow over, but I fear you would both rebel if you were mated for life. You are too much alike and too fond of freedom, not to mention hot tempers and strong wills, to get on happily together in a relation which needs infinite patience and forbearance as well as love. So I guess I'm just like, I don't know. I wanted to know what you think of that reasoning. Like, do you think that Joe and Lori would be, if Joe were romantically interested in him, be any less good together than Amy and Lori? Because it seems to me the whole moral for poor Lori is that, like, he needs a woman, this book kind of implies, to manage him. And the implication is that Amy can just manage Lori better than Joe could. I think that's partially true, but I do think that Joe, I think that part of it is that Joe would be unhappy being in that role all the time. And also, I think that there is something to the idea, and like, maybe this is just getting into like, too much of my own personal kind of like philosophy about like romantic relationships. But like, I do think that when Marmy is talking about the fact that like, being with someone ostensibly forever requires a lot of patience like I think there's something to that and I do think that textually throughout the book we see over and over again that Lori and Joe don't have a lot of patience with each other like legitimately they do fight all the time and sometimes it's kind of in a nice debatey spirit but sometimes it's not and they have hurt each other's feelings and I think that what it comes down to for me is the idea that like They aren't good communicators. I think even with the whole, like, the way the proposal actually goes down, like, Joe tries to just get him to stop because she doesn't feel the same way. And because of that, Lori gets, like, frustrated because he spent a really long time just trying to tell her how he feels, and she won't let him. And I think that that's, like, on the one hand, I think it's really good that Joe knows her own boundaries and stuff. But I think on the other hand, like, if you're going to care for someone romantically or not, like you need to let them express their feelings and like 
create boundaries within that together as a like either in a friendship or like a romantic unit, you know, and I think that that level of like communication problem is really ultimately would what would probably make Joe and Lori unhappy in a situation like that. So like, I see your perspective. And I do think that is part of it. And that Lori is just someone who just like, in this world needs a lady to manage him and that like Joe is just not good at it for various reasons. But I do think that throughout the story, we have seen that there might be some merit to the idea that they just aren't well suited romantically because they they do just like butt heads constantly and they can't communicate uh, effectively. I'm glad you put it that way for me because that really makes me like Lori and Amy together even better because Amy does get him to communicate and open up because originally Amy doesn't know that Joe had um, dumped him when she's hanging out with Lori in Europe. It's true. She has to figure it out. Yeah, she has to figure it out. But like she makes Lori communicate. So I guess, yeah, I guess that makes me like the relationship a little bit better. I also think it's interesting too to kind of talk a little bit, like to jump around a little bit about the relationships. We see Meg very much as the submissive partner to Brooke. Mm -hmm. And I think before we have kind of implied that maybe that's like an old timey relic thing. But in this book, we also see Amy as the badass bitch in charge when it comes to Lori. Yeah. And really Joe and Mr. Bear, I would say other than like Marmy and Papa are like the only couple that doesn't have this weird power dynamic. Like they're both kind of an equal places yeah which is i think especially interesting because in joe and bear's relationship it is worth noting that he is like literally double her age which isn't like an inherently bad thing or whatever but i think that especially for modern readers you would typically expect to find bigger power imbalances in a situation like that than you do in like megan brooks relationship or um even amy and Lori's, even though amy has a lot more of the power there um I think it's interesting because I, maybe it's just because I am a woman and coming at it from like a feminist perspective. I don't know. But I think that Amy and Lori's relationship to me feels better because it's so clearly consensual on Lori's part. Like he doesn't mind being, he wants a woman to tame him. Yeah, for sure. And I think also it's because like, I think that Amy doesn't, I think it comes down to communication again, right? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of Megan Brooks' problems, even with the fight that we were talking about last episode, come from, like, a place where one party wasn't really listening and the other party wasn't necessarily communicating what they actually wanted. And, like, a lot of the issues they have surrounding the kids and, like, the fact that Meg is doing all the work at home and therefore Brooke feels kind of driven out is also about communication to a certain extent. Like, I think I think it's really annoying there that Marmy gives such, like, just what today feels like such bullshit sexist advice and then it actually works, you know? But, like, I think that the difference there is that because Amy and Lori do have that really open communication, it it feels better, again, because, like, what you're saying, it feels much more consensual, whereas, like, it feels like Meg and Brooke very much just fall into this, like, rut that they can't get out of with their power imbalances and dynamics. Yeah. Did it happen last section where Meg has the... She, like takes the money and uses it on a dress or something. I think so, yeah. Damn, I wish we had talked about that. That's also why I hate Brooke. For the record, everyone, Brooke is, like, really awful, and he puts Meg essentially on his knee and talks down to her, and it's awful. I just hate. Okay, I'm sorry. That was a... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Brooke either. I think his one redeeming quality at the end of the novel is that the way their relationship does come together even though as i mentioned it happens because meg has to like put the effort forward and like get all dolled up for him which is not cool but i do think it's nice that like the saving of their relationship is that they both become more equally invested in raising the children and like doing the housework and stuff and like they're both able to make their spaces their own together and like they become more of a united unit i think that's nice and i think that it does well it doesn't fix or address all of their power imbalances in their relationship i think it does address some of those power imbalances which i appreciated but like yeah the whole thing just feels kind of icky like i don't know 
I wasn't fond of Brooke from the beginning and like the the further we got into the book the more it was just like I'm not about this like yeah I feel like poor May gets the less the least cool story do you think however do you think that we get to see because I'm thinking about it and I guess maybe it's because both of these marriages occur really at the end of the story mm-hmm. but Meg and Brooke are like the only ones that we get to see any marital problems with mm-hmm. do you think that it's just because Meg is the older sister and like that's that's why we get into a window. Do you think maybe all of these relationships could have these problems and we're just not getting access to it? I mean, prob- probably. Because, like, I mean, if we're taking a realistic viewpoint, right, like, no one's relationship and no one's marriage is perfect. So, like, yes, definitely. I think that Meg gets the short end of the stick because she gets married so much sooner because she is the oldest. And I do think that there's something interesting happening here with the idea that, like, Meg, to me at least as a reader, made kind of the fastest decision about marrying Brooke, which I know that we did talk about last time that she does hem and haw about how she actually feels about him and stuff like that. But like, once she decides how she feels about him, they get married pretty quick. And like, Joe and Bear, for example, have like a pretty long you know, they dance with each other <laughs> a little bit more, you know, like, because there's there's so much time where they know each other before they get married that I feel like you didn't quite see it in the same way with Meg and Brooke, especially because their previous interactions were so often in a group. And I, But Meg and Brooke took four, they had a four-year engagement. Oh, shit, they did. You're right. Ah, Yeah, we just didn't see any of it. So it might have felt faster. I think it just feels fast as a reader because, like, you don't see all of that stuff that you do with the others. And like Amy and Lori, you see all of their buildup really, and then ultimately very little of their actual marriage. So like, I think that on the one hand, it's because Meg is just kind of getting the short end of the stick. But like, on the other hand, we see them, we just see a lot more of them having to like actually deal with being married. And like Lori and Amy, most of the time are in their honeymoon phase. And then also for a lot of the time that we see Joe and Bear being married, they're like separated for a year because he's out West. So like they aren't even physically together, you know, because the end of the book, we know that everyone has babies and like happily ever after whatever, all of that. But like Meg is the only girl that we actually see go through the process because the end of the book time passes so quickly that it's just like, And now everyone has kids and it's fine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think as we've talked about before, that may have been fan service. However, I don't know. Well, do you want to talk more about the proposal of... Do do we want to talk more about the actual time in which Lori and and Joe end up sort of breaking up their friendship slash never... I I, I don't know. The romance portion of that where he confesses. Because there's some weird things going on there where Lori, like, Lori talks about how he, even though Joe has told him that she's not interested at this point and made it pretty clear how he didn't know because women will say no and then like play hard to get. And then we also get an interesting thing where he attacks Mr. Bear, who Joe does kind of have a crush on at this point, but isn't necessarily aware she has a crush on. Yeah, and she ultimately goes back and forth to figure out that she is like in love with him. Yeah. So she doesn't know. It's not love at this point. No, for sure. She likes him as a human. She thinks he's really interesting. Probably has a crush, but isn't necessarily aware of her feelings. Yeah. So yeah, he blames Mr. Bear, which I think is kind of a dick move. And he becomes kind of a dick, as we've talked about before. And Amy has to break him out of his dickishness. Uh, There's also like a weird thing where Joe talks about how he's too good for her. And I thought... I don't know if that's like a it's not you it's me sort of thing or if there's more to that. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the scene right now. There's like so much here to unpack. I figured we should probably spend a little bit of time with it. We yeah, can't yeah, spend yeah. a whole lot of time with this whole section because so much happens. But I figured this is like one of the big parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the thing that bothers me here for the most part is the I, I don't have the page numbers, my friends, I'm sorry, but it's it's in the chapter where all of it goes down. Is that um so Joe says or so they're at like the end of their argument and Lori says Hello there. I'm Erica, your host of the Les Represent Podcast. We talk to female identifying women from all walks and paths of life. We talk about anything. Their experiences, their stories, their projects, their favorite food, even their pets' names. Anything. And what do we all have in common, you ask? Well, we're all queer. 
And in the world when the media, society, and even our parents are telling us who we are and how to identify, sometimes we just need to speak for ourselves. So sit back, grab a snack, and listen to our conversations. Get to know someone. You might find regardless of country, generation, or orientation, you might have more in common than you think. Oh, and sometimes my co-host will chime in with something to say. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Anything more? Finding it hard to listen patiently to this prophetic burst. Nothing more, except that I don't believe I shall ever marry. I'm happy as I am and love my liberty too well to be in a hurry to give it up for any mortal man. I know better, Broken Lori. You think so now, but there'll come a time when you start to care for somebody and you'll love him tremendously and live and die for him. I know you will. It's your way, and I shall have to stand by and see it. And the despairing lover cast his hat upon the ground with a gesture that would have seemed comical if his face had not been so tragic. And the thing is, is that, like... I think that just gets to the crux of what feels like weird about this scene is that it's just like, on the one hand, I I do legitimately feel bad for Lori. (laughs) Like she really is like brutally eviscerating him here (laughs) and she's trying not to be a jerk about it and like kind of succeeding and kind of not succeeding. But then at the same time, the like crux of Lori's thing. And I think the ultimate reason that they're not good together is because Lori always thinks he owes what joe actually wants like he thinks well he literally says i know better right like he thinks that he knows joe and what she wants and like what her secret desires are and like to a certain extent that is probably true right like they are really good friends and they are really close but like i think that he tries to like emotionally master her in that way and like that's what she chafes against you know and that's why she wants to keep her freedom and her liberty and stuff and like I think even just what we were talking about earlier, like, that's the crux of what Marmy's getting at, too, is the fact that, like, their power dynamic together would just be one struggle after another, you know? Yeah. But, like, to me, I think that's the crux of what it feels icky about Lori's reaction to this whole situation. Yeah, because I understand, like, I think we've all, if you've ever been through a breakup, like, all of his feelings are real valid feelings. It's just, yeah. like, you can't take them out on somebody and it's hard to because joe does love Lori so much i know so, just not in the way he wants yeah so it's it's i feel bad for both of them because she's clearly pained in telling him this yeah for sure she doesn't she's not trying to hurt him she just as of yet in the story doesn't have like the tact to, act, to actually not hurt him you know i don't think she ever develops that to be no, honest no not not really <laughs> not really for uh, um, joe yeah so I, I guess that's my two cents about like what happens in the proposal yeah is there anything else you want to talk about with that scene i think that what happens afterwards is also important like directly afterwards when laurie goes to talk to mr lawrence because Mm -hmm. mr lawrence is essentially like i am like disappointed with with the way you're acting and you're not living up to the fact that you're a gentleman and like that's why we need to leave and on the one hand he does literally say take it like a man and don't do anything rash for god's sakes which, like, is not a good sentiment, and, like, we, we we don't support that kind of thinking here at Rebel Girls Book Club. But I do think that other things that he says about the idea that you can't put this all on Joe, and, like, you're not running away to take time to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. is also important. And, like, I think that it just kind of, like, that whole contradictory kind of feeling i think is what unsettles me so much about this book i think i've made it pretty clear that i'm not a fan (laughs) throughout this whole thing and i think it's because like we get in certain ways close to being like progressive especially for the time period and then we say shit like take it like a man and it's just we go all the way back you know like it just makes me feel crazy i mean to be fair though like no one that I know of was talking about why the phrase take it like a man was so problematic during that time, were they? No. And like, but like, that's, and I can totally admit the fact that like, this is coming from me reading it as a modern reader, but like, that yeah. doesn't mean I have to enjoy it anyways, you know, <laughs> like, which is a pro, but I think, I think for me, the place where I'm like, 
if we're talking about my personal feelings about the book for a second, the place that I feel contradictory about it is that I'm able to put a lot of that aside when I read other classics. And I think here for me, the thing that's frustrating is that because we get close, I find it harder to put aside because it like, we're almost there, you know, like we're close. There are places where she's really like, she's she's on the border of something good yes no i agree that was my issue and i do genuinely enjoy this book like i do find it entertaining i think maggie probably find has a little bit of a harder time with that but that was that was why i was like we need to read this and talk about it on rebel girls book club because i understand that it's so progressive but it it hurts because she almost gets there so much yeah (sighs) yeah so now that we've talked about Lori, the other big thing that I took notes about was Mr. Bear, because a lot of people hated that Joe ended up with Mr. Bear. And I wanted to know, well, first of all, what what are your thoughts on Mr. Bear? Like, do you like him with Joe? Do you think he's a good partner? What, what are your initial thoughts on him? I feel really indifferent about him, honestly. Like, I feel like I should have stronger feelings about him, but he comes in so late into the book. And I feel like to a certain extent, he's like Joe's version of a manic pixie dream girl. We're like, because a little bit, because I think that like, he is a lot of things that Joe is actually looking for in the sense that like, he encourages her to be herself. And he doesn't mind the fact that she, like, wants to have her own career and, like, be a writer. And, like, they talk about intellectual things. And I think all of that is well and good. But, like, I also – and, I mean, again, I know that this is coming at it from a modern perspective. But the fact that he's 20 years older than her really does unsettle me a little bit because it feels hard to, like – I don't know. I can't imagine, like, as somebody who is just a little bit older than Joe is in this book, like, being married to somebody who's double my age and, like, how I could make that power dynamic feel, like, safe and equal. And I think that the part that I have difficulty swallowing about their relationship is that you're supposed to kind of take it through for granted throughout the end of the book that, like, they are totally on equal footing all the time and, like, it doesn't seem like he talks down to her a ton or anything besides the scene we already mentioned where he, like, lectures her about the the stories that she's writing and how only trashy people would do that so like i don't know i think that ultimately i landed being in kind of an indifferent place with him i get that so it's weird because i've my father continually accuses me of being quote-unquote ageist because i tell him he can't date women that are younger than me or close to my age um (laughs) but like my parents are only just to give people some context my parents are like 20 and 23 years older than me and so I have always been really sensitive to ages in dating relationships, but I'm with a partner now and it's, it's different because I'm a grown up. I'm like, I'm going to be 25. Right. But I'm with a partner who's almost seven years older than me, but, but we met when I was 22 and he was like 29. And so I was really worried about that at first, but now that I have been in this relationship, like it is the most equal relationship. And I think that, I don't know my perspective on age has really changed to you've got to kind of be in the same place in life. And it is a little different. Like we do kind of see a power dynamic there with Bear when Bear is like talking about the stories that Joe is writing. But I also think that it's painted in a way that like she just kind of cares what he thinks. And I think it would be hard because they've probably lived very different experiences. But I I think that it is realistic that somebody who is 40 and... it's hard because it's the olden time but like joe's been out of school right like she is in this society an adult yeah and i mean i'm not saying that like there's no good relationships that have big power dynamics that's not what i'm trying to say but i do think that if you look like statistically it is something that you have to watch out for especially in modern time like that those are relationships that tend to have high rates of like domestic violence and things like that so it's like not trying to say that it never ever works but it does i think as a reader raise a couple of like oh this is interesting i think especially just because their family her family at first has that exact same reaction initially like until they meet him they're initially like whoa like this dude's a lot older than you yeah he's an old man and then they meet him and like it all works out and like i don't have huge objections to him on that front but it is just one of those things where like i don't I wish he came into the book a little bit earlier and I understood why he couldn't have, you know, just because of the way the plot was. But like a problem I have as a reader is that it takes me a really long time with this style of writing with this like whole 
it's like individual short stories that are just like smashed together. Like I have a really hard time connecting to characters when they're written in that style. And it took me until like halfway through rereading this book to give a fuck about even the four sisters. So like when she shoves this other character who's like important in at the end, I was like, I like, I have literally zero feelings about this dude. Like, and I think that that was probably also colored because I read this section after we talked last time about the fact that Alcott didn't want Joe to get married at all. So like it felt, I think less genuine for me because I knew that going into it. And like, I can't like, it just really colored my opinion of what was happening here. So like, it wasn't that I disliked him, but like, I could not find it in me to give a fuck about him at all. Frankly. I understand. That's a really interesting perspective. I will say, I think if she had put him earlier in the book, Joe really would have been too young and it would have been a creepy situation. Oh, for sure. Because even, yeah, even the fact that it's kind of hinted at that he like could have feelings during when they first initially meet when she's working in New York, that does feel a little bit weird to me because that's her first time like being out on her own. And like that to me seems to create a little bit of an unequal power dynamic. So I think it's really good that she waited so long to place them together. Um, And I think that's an interesting point that you made about him being like the manic pixie dream girl. So maybe it was like, if Alcott was like, I'm going to marry Joe off. If I have to marry Joe off to somebody, like I'm going to make sure that it's somebody who works for her. But it's also interesting because she deliberately, Joe says in the book that he's not a romantic character. And Alcott has been said in interview, like in interviews, she has said that she refused to marry Joe to Lori because she didn't want a romantic relationship. And so I did some digging and found some articles in the Paris Review (laughs) that examined Bauer and the hatred towards him. And this one person writes uh, that she writes that Bauer is super romantic. Quote, he's saintly, self-sacrificing, burdened by an awkwardly rendered accent that makes his good words sound utterly ludicrous. And so, quote unquote, good that Joe doesn't even notice his appearance. That was kind of the the reasoning that this writer gave when she revisited Bauer as a person. And I'll link that. I'll link both of those articles in the um, show notes. But yeah, I don't know. I guess it's interesting to think that you think that he's a good fit. I I think I also was a little bit eh on him because he's not a hottie with a body and uh, I'm a sucker for a hottie with a body. And like, I'm glad that Joe doesn't love Lori, but I would have probably been more team Lori uh, if he was a real love interest because he's a hottie with a body. That's interesting, actually, because like I never wanted Joe and Lori together. Um, There was no point. And like we've talked about the fact that this is technically a reread for me, but like this is the first time I've read it in probably like between 15 to 17 years so like I really didn't remember anything and like for me the entire time I was like if these two actually end up together I'm gonna be so mad because like I just I so I guess that for me I'm just like the unpopular opinion here because like I never wanted Joe and Lori together so like for me her being with someone else who even if I didn't have strong feelings about them did seem at least intellectually like a good fit for her like was fine like I, I didn't care that much you know I agree I agree no I understand he's just not like he's not a as much of a fun love interest but he is sweet and I like that you categorized him as the quote-unquote manic pixie dream girl for Joe I think the idea of like being uber romantic like I can see what that person is getting at what this author is getting at and like I do agree to a certain extent but I think I think that they're different kinds of romantic like the lori the lori versus the bear because i think that in all the ways that lori is romantic are kind of the antithesis to the way that this bear boer man is you know like lori is lori not- versus lori versus the bear the can bear. we make that a movie yeah <laughs> like lori is not saintly and he's not always self-sacrificing and like he's not just kind of you know like he is i think in mm-hmm. a lot of ways a much more 
traditional hottie with a body, like you were saying, you know? So, like, I think that while I can understand the argument that Bear is also, like, ultimately a romantic character, I think it's in very different ways than the way that Laurie is. And I think that for Joe, that kind of makes all the difference, ultimately. I agree. Laurie is less of a realistic, like, a realistically good partner. Like, I think that when we, at least through literature, have romantic characters, they're generally kind of shitty people even though we think they're super hot. Like I'm thinking of the classic Edward Cullen thing. Like that is supposedly for Maggie and my generation when we were like 13, that was the the hottie. That was the hottie with the body. Darcy. And that was what Darcy. Darcy's another typical. Although I feel like Darcy's got a little bit more bear in him because he is kind of an asshole up front. I don't know. Like he's not a hottie. Is Darcy ever a hottie? In movies. In movies, yeah. I don't know. I fucking hate Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) So, like, I don't remember a ton of it. But part of the reason I hate Pride and Prejudice is because I read it and I was like, this dude is just a dick. Yes, just go listen to Fuckboys of Lit and you'll just see that, like, all of these hotties with bodies are actual, uh, you know, fuckboys. Yeah, for sure. I think that for, I think the thing with Lori is that, like, I think that, especially at the time that him and Joe would have gotten together if it had gone through, They would have kind of had the sort of relationship that, like, I mean, if this would have happened at the time. But, you know, if we're putting it into modern context, like, they would have had some really fucking great sex. It would have been really passionate, and it probably would have fizzled out pretty fast, you know? like Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I could see that. It would have been really, really passionate, and they would have, like, had a lot of hate sex. Yeah, and they would have burned out real quick. And it would have been hot. They would have been more fun to watch, though, is the thing. And that's why I would have been yeah, too Lori, sure. I think. Because he's hotter to watch. For sure. But that, that's me not caring about Joe's well-being, so shame right. on me. Um, <laughs> are we going to talk about the fact that Beth dies? Let's, oh, yeah, I guess we have to. So Beth dies, and Joe becomes really sad about it, and, like, she becomes hard. And kind of, like, she she turns into the old maid. Yeah, a little. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard because it's just, like, frustrating. I think that one of the places where Alcott gets close and then fails, as we were talking about before, is with Beth's character. Because, like, she just makes Beth such, like, a fucking stereotypical plain Jane. And then she dies. And it's not like she just, like, fizzles out into nothing the entire book, you know? It's like, watch the decline of this mousy little character. And I think it just makes me sad because, like, you can be quiet and shy and like mousy in the way that Beth is and just like a really kind person and still like be Be a real person, be a real person. (laughs) And also just like be worth a lot. You know, like I, I think that Alcott by the end makes Beth seem like a real trivial character. I think I mentioned this last episode, but like at the beginning of the book, Beth is really the glue that's holding the family together because of the war and like March and then Marmy being gone. And like people really rally around the fact that like, at least they have Beth who is just like worth protecting, but then everyone comes back and everything's fine. And it's just like, okay, we don't need Beth anymore. You know, not that they explicitly say that, but it feels like the attitude of the author a little bit, you know? I haven't done enough research to know how much of this is based off of Alcott's life. And so maybe Alcott had like a little sister that died. But I really hope that's not the case because I don't think that her characterization of Beth would be an honor because Beth just kind of stops being a person. And that's addressed somewhere in in this section. Let's see. Leading in this chapter, which is in my version in a chapter called The Valley of the Shadow. We see essentially an entire summary of what's been going on with Beth this entire time because, like, we didn't really know prior to this. So, like, we get the summary of what's happening with Beth. So it starts out by the fact that the, they set the most pleasant room in the house apart for her. They gathered everything she most loved, which, which is a, a list. Flowers, pictures, her piano, the little work table, and the beloved pussies. That's it. Those are the five things in life Beth likes. What the fuck? Anyways, so Beth for a long time is like reading and she spends a lot of time with Joe. She likes to be with Joe. She doesn't want to inconvenience Joe, even though she's very, very sick. But like she likes that Joe is there. She reads for a while. Eventually she grows so weak she can't even sew anymore. She spends a lot of time talking about God. And then this is how she ends. 
So the spring days came and went, the sky grew clearer, the earth greener, the flowers were up fairly early, and the birds came back in time to say goodbye to Beth, who, like a tired but trustful child, clung to the hands that had led her all her life, as father and mother guided her tenderly through the valley of the shadow and gave her up to God. Seldom except in books to the dying utter memorable words, see visions, or depart with beatified countenances. And those who have sped many parting souls know that to the most, the end comes as naturally and simply as sleep. As Beth had hoped, the tide went out easily, and in the dark hour before dawn, on the bosom where she had drawn her first breath, she quietly drew her last, with no farewell but one loving look, one little sigh. With tears and prayers and tender hands, mother and sisters made her ready for the long sleep that pain would never mar again, seeing with grateful eyes the beautiful serenity that soon replaced the pathetic patience that had wrung their hearts so long, and feeling with reverent joy that to their darling, death was a benignant angel, not a phantom full of dread. So, like, on the one hand, I think that that's a really beautiful passage. It, like... I don't even like this book, and it, like, makes you tear up a little bit to read it. On the other hand, this is the scene where we're describing who Beth is as a human being, and all we get is that she's a serene person who was literally pathetically patient, and who, like, was just beautiful, and even as an adult, never grows out of being childlike. So, like, on the one hand, it's a really beautiful description of death, but on the other hand, we're, like, boiling Beth down to, like, the most like she's not even a human anymore right she's just this ideal and i get that sometimes that's what happens when like people die they become idealized and they become in our heads we think of them as being the absolute best versions of themselves but like the absolute best version of beth is essentially being like a literal angel caricature and not a real person yeah which sounds flattering but it's really not because you're not seeing her as a full human Um, And therefore, you're not loving the real her. But that is addressed earlier in the book where Beth is seen by Joe as holding the babies a lot and just like crying and bursting into tears. And Beth is, uh, sorry, Joe is talking to Marmy about it. And Joe's like, I think she's sad because she, we, we treat her like a child all the time, but we've forgotten that she's like 18 and is a grown up now. And she thinks that she's never going to have these things, like have a family like Meg does and get married and have babies and stuff. Yeah. And like that, that's true. They address it, but then like they, they never do anything after that. Like it, it gets mentioned and then nothing comes of it. Right. Like, and it's just like, it just weirdly <laughs> accepted the whole time that Beth knows she's going to die. And like, no one does. Does anything? They send her to the seashore twice, but like it's not even really clear what Beth is sick with. No. Oh uh, well, I think that no, yeah, you're right, because she was sick with um some sort of fever earlier. Scarlet fever, yeah. And now it's not just scarlet. I don't know enough how this works, I guess. Scarlet fever does not work like that. Scarlet fever. <laughs> I do. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> so scarlet fever is essentially what happens if you've had strep throat for too long. You get like really like brain sick, essentially. And oh, you can go blind and it like is often fatal. It's funny because in the book and at this time, they thought if you got scarlet fever once, you could never get it again. But that is not true because as we all know, strep throat is very contagious, etc., etc. But because that's like the nature of the disease, as far as I'm aware, like you either like get better or you like die or become somebody who's like dealing with a permanent disability. Like if we're thinking about a different a different book that came out at the same time, like the Little House on the Prairie books, I don't remember what her sister's name is, but she became blind because she had scarlet fever. Like scarlet fever, oh. scarlet fever kind of burns hot and fast. It's not like she wouldn't still be suffering with it years later and suddenly die of it, you know? And it, she okay. did get it. Like it was such a slow decline for her. Like it, So, like, I don't know if it was supposed to be that she just, like, never fully recovered and got her strength back or, like, what. But they just kind of, like, accept the fact that she says she's going to die. So, she clearly she is. Yeah, it's, I'm sure this wasn't the intention. But the book almost kind of makes it seem like we don't have anything else to do with Beth. And so, like, I don't know. Like, they... I guess the characters don't want her to die, but like that's kind of, it feels like the book wants her to die so it can get it over with. It. Well, because she's painted as being the like saint of the first half and like what happens mm-hmm. to saints? 
they become martyrs. Yeah. Beth gets martyred, essentially. Like, not in any big, grandiose yeah. way, but, like, for this little family, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't have anything else to say about it, but you're right. It's messed up. <laughs> no, me neither. I, I, th- I, thought, I thought we had to talk about it a little bit, though. It is one of the, like, big turning points in the story. And for people who are reading it for the first time, a lot of people are, like, real fucked up when Beth dies. That's the one thing I do remember about the first time I read this book, is I remember sitting on the couch in my parents' living room, like, sobbing my eyes out because yeah. she died. Yeah. Hopefully, it's all grown-ups listening to us. <laughs> They it know. should be. If you are under the age of like 16, you're in the wrong Well, place. no. I think you can be like 12 and deal with it. I've got 12-year-old siblings. They could probably handle it. With us? Yeah. We talk exclusively about like sex and swearing and stuff. Yeah. I. This is like, Coop, Coop would talk about that stuff with me. But yeah, not like about my sex life, but you know, I think I think he's mature enough to handle it. Yes. Let's see. That's everything I have. Let's see. We've already talked about Lori needing a chain. Is there anything else? Let's talk about the ending. Can we jump to the ending? Or is there like more stuff that you want to talk about? No, we can jump straight to the ending. That's fine with me. Okay. So I had mixed feelings on the ending. So essentially the last chapter of the book is like almost a family reunion of sorts where like they're kind of reflecting on their lives everyone has their babies everyone is with their really happy families Uh and here we go (laughs) and then and then we have the last paragraph of the book touched to the heart mrs march could only stretch out her arms as if to gather children and grandchildren to herself and say with face and voice full of motherly love gratitude and humility oh my girls however long you may live i never can wish you a greater happiness than this So, like, I have kind of mixed feelings about it, too, because, like, on the one hand, like, that's a nice sentiment, you know, like, family is everything. But then on the other hand, it's very much like, and I think it's especially almost like a kick in the face to Joe a little bit, because it's like being a mother, essentially, is like the highest thing that ladies can achieve to and stuff. Or at least that's the implication I took from it, you know? I did, too. I knew that you hated this book and that you were going to hate this uh, ending in particular. So... I've been thinking a lot about it, and here are some positives that I've gathered. Great. Everyone, all three sisters, marry people that they genuinely love, right? It's not about money. Even Amy, who ends up marrying someone with money, marries him because she genuinely loves him. True. Except for Meg. (laughs) The other two sisters are in relationships with partners who, like, support them. Both Amy and Joe aren't actually giving up their passions, like their career passions, Amy, does she still do art? It it talks a little bit about something. I know that her and Lori, her and Lori give to charities a lot. Their whole thing is philanthropy. Yeah, but like they've found something useful for their lives outside of being parents. And Joe is building the school, but she also is still a writer. Mm-hmm. Which I think is important, even though she's married. Like she did not give up her career aspirations. She has other stuff going for her. For sure. And that's it. Those those are all my positives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I get you. And I mean, I think that those are all good things. It just like, I think, th- like I said, I think the happy interpretation of that is just like family's really important and like the center of everything. And I mean, I think that's a sentiment. That part of it is a sentiment most people would agree with, even if it's not your blood family, you know, like the family that you choose for yourself is like, you know one of the great parts of being alive but like (laughs) it just seemed so being a mother is the best thing ever and it was just like oh my god like especially to your children who do have more going on their lives are round and fulfilled outside of this you know not meg poor fucking meg yeah poor meg poor meg poor beth they really poor yeah they really got the short end (laughs) here the one thing I will say to counter that is that Jill is presented like she's going to be an old maid for most of this book. And she says she wants to be. And the mom seems genuinely okay with that and is like, okay, well, it's just as long as you're happy and like you have loved ones in your life. So I think were this written in a different era, that might have been more the focus of the book. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And I think I think that is fair that like Joe they all really were encouraged to like do what was going to make them happy. And I think that that is important. It just like, 
I don't know. It was just very... (laughs) It's disappointing because Joe is so radical. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it just is what it is, you know? I think it's also extra hard because you know that, like, she writes, she goes on to write a whole series of books, like, based around Joe's family life. And it's just like, you know. What? Is it good? Have you read it? It's like about Joe as a mother, essentially, as far as I'm aware. And, like, I haven't, I haven't read it, but it does, I, I worry, given what I know about it, that it, kind of takes away a little bit from those other aspects of her life and really just focuses on like her kids and her life as a mother you know yeah but I guess I can't say that for certain because I haven't read it I've just done a little bit of research about it but like she did she did write four books little women good wives (laughs) little men and joe's boys those are all four of the books in this world um if it makes you feel better I think Alcott was a spinster so yeah yeah and I think make you feel better especially because I think that the conversation that we've been having the whole time about like what Alcott actually wanted versus like what she was sort of forced into just because of like fan service and like just like the society she was writing in and all of that stuff like I think that that's a really important balance to keep in mind Mm -hmm. is the fact that it was probably you know more important for her at the end of the day to get published and actually be able to make money and eat food than you know like because she was a spinster and she did live by that time kind of a very unconventional life so like I, you know, it's just something to keep in mind while you're reading it is like what Alcott actually probably would have done if she had just been able to publish whatever she wanted to publish, you know? Yeah, I think it's definitely important. And I didn't read that. I didn't learn that until like well through the second reading of this book. So for the podcast. So had I learned it earlier, I wonder how I would have read the book because Joe, we repeatedly see Joe writing things that she doesn't believe. Yeah. And stories she doesn't believe in just to make money. So, like, take that how you will. (laughs) Okay, do you want to do that fun quiz? Yes. So it's from Penguin Random House. They published a Which March Sister Are You quiz. Okay. All right. All right. So do we want to read the questions and then, like, we'll both say what we would choose? Yeah, let's do it like that. And then we'll share what our answers are. Okay. So what kind of books do you like to read? Do we want to read the answers, too? Yeah, we might as well. Okay, fast-paced thrillers, love stories, family sagas, or uplifting memoirs. What are you going for? I mean, none of the above, typically. But I I guess I'm going to go with family sagas, because that's the kind of literary fiction I tend to go toward. I'm going to... I also... Well, I don't know. What is a family saga? I guess I kind of like uplifting memoirs. I don't know. I mean, I would say that Little Woman is kind of a family saga. Is that what I typically read? I'm going to say uplifting memoirs, because, like, Mindy Kaling, you And Gloria Steinem and stuff. I have a lot of those books. You do read more of those than I do, at the very least. Yeah. All right, Harmony. What's your ideal vacation? Relaxing on a beach, exploring museums in a new city, hiking in the mountains, or visiting family at home? What do you think it is, Maggie? (laughs) Oh, I know. Harmony loves nothing more than exploring museums in a new city. In fact, for those of you who don't know, Harmony and I, in a couple years ago, went to Amsterdam for a week together, and literally all we did was eat food, get drunk, and visit museums. We did 36 museums. No 420. No 420. <laughs> there was no there pot. There was no pot. <laughs> we, were, we were too busy. We hit 36 museums in seven days. So I think it's fair to say that's what we're, we're both going to pick here. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite. What do you look for in a partner, Maggie? Loyalty, intelligence, kindness, or humor? That's actually kind of a hard one because, like, all of the mm-hmm. above. But, like... <laughs> you deserve it all! <laughs> But, like, I think that – I think I'm kind of torn between intelligence and humor. Oh, okay. Is Didi funny? Didi is very funny. <laughs> Didi, is, Didi is deceptively so. My husband is, seems like a very stoic person on the outside, but he is so weird and so goofy and so funny. And it was, like, one of the things that I really – dick about him but i think maybe intelligence because if dd wasn't smart and i couldn't have a good conversation with him like we wouldn't be together because there'd just be nothing to talk about that would be sad that would be a sad household i'm gonna go with kindness because um you know i used to do intelligence but there wasn't enough kindness and not that my partner isn't intelligent but like now kindness is his defining factor and it made me it made me realize what i deserve more not to get too sappy that's nice that i don't <laughs> think that kindness is dd's defining factor no i don't think so either dd's kind to maggie though let's put that out there 
Is it is it your turn? Yeah. Harmony, what's the best way to end a Friday night? Playing the piano, a dinner party, dancing with friends, or staying in and reading? Oh, okay. So a Saturday night or a Friday night, I probably wouldn't stay in and read, which I know is sacrilegious to the Rebel Girls brand. So I'm going to go ahead and say dinner party is probably most likely what I would do. I think the thing is that like what I'm probably doing is staying in and reading. But like <laughs> if we were if we were going to talk about like what my ideal would be, it'd probably also be a dinner party. Yeah, that's fair. But like if we're talking about my real life, it is in fact 100% staying in and reading. <laughs> Mine would be like cuddling on the couch watching Gossip Girl because I got Matt into Gossip Girl. That's amazing. I, I know he loves it. He's like really invested in Chuck and Blair or like, yeah, doing a dinner party or something. But I also live in New York City. So like it's it's hard to stay in on weekends. You know, you gotta like, you gotta live it up while you can. Yeah, I feel you. I, I don't live in the city, so. What is your ideal job? Writer, artist, teacher, or doctor? Mine is teacher. Really? I didn't know that. Oops, oops. I put teacher for you, but I want to put it, I want to put writer for me. Crap. I have to redo the whole quiz. <laughs> Oh no. Tell us your results. I'm Joe. You're just like Joe. Fiery, independent, and strong-willed. You're always down for an adventure and are ready to meet new people along the way. Your experiences make for great stories, good things you love to express. Good thing you love to express your creativity through books and writing. Wow. Sure. I think you could be Joe. Who do you think that you are? I don't know. I honestly, I think I'm probably a little bit more of like an Amy at the end of the day. But like, I definitely have the Joe streak (laughs) in me, you know? That's fair. I think Amy is a little bit smarter than Joe in a lot of ways. I'm Amy, apparently, even though I put writer. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) That's some spicy results. Yeah, there we go. You're independent and love traveling the world to explore new places and meet new people. Similar to Amy, you've got an artistic streak and you're willing to work hard for the life you want. There we go. Very nice. (laughs) Very nice. What were your overall impressions of this book, Maggie? Oh, I mean, we know. I fucking hated it. (laughs) I gave it one star on Goodreads. I'm not here. And I will say it's not- You give it one star? I fucking could not. Um, I think that, like, my problem with it is threefold- one is that like this style of writing just very much isn't for me so like it wasn't going to be my favorite book to begin with i just for whatever reason find specifically children's books and the way that they had to be written in this time period to sell like really arduous to get through that's number one the second is i really had a hard time connecting with or liking any of the characters and that's not usually a prerequisite for me to like a book i like plenty of books with like not where I don't like the characters. I think the thing that chafed me here was like, you were clearly supposed to like the characters. And I just felt like I couldn't get any meat to like identify with them at all. And then the third thing was what we talked about earlier this episode was just like the, the meteor aspect of like, you know, we got so close in so many ways to some like real breakthroughs of like morals in this story. And then ultimately it kind of comes to not. So like for me, I think that those were the three big pillars and reasons that like I just could not get into this book, you know? That's fair. For me it was definitely like a three out of five. And I don't usually give number ratings to books, but for this one I feel confident in that because I did genuinely enjoy it. I do think it was probably progressive for the time. The morals even though I know that I have to look at this from like a time period place really got to me though. And I'm not, I'm just not for that. I don't like people telling me what to do, man. You know, if you gotta be, if you gotta have a moral, it has to be all about inclusivity and like raising the marginalized up. I can't deal with any sort of moral, other moral. I can like, I can do hope. I can do like love in a general sense. It can't just be a familial love. And it can't just be a romantic love. And I've got to do like, you know, the moral of like, let's go and raise the marginalized up. Because fuck that other shit. Anything else is useless. Okay. Do you think this was a feminist book? You know, I think yes. Really? Okay. I'm not, and not necessarily for like today i think that you have to really read it critically like we did to get it to to get to it today but like thinking back to the time period when this was published and who was going to be reading it like i'm willing to bet that like there were little girls who read this at the time and felt they could probably do more with their life than just like get married and like especially to just like 
not just get married for money and things like that. I think that some of the things as we've been talking about do end up being really outdated to a modern reader. And I would never want to just like hand a kid of mine this book and be like, yes, take this, you know, and like take your morals away from it, you know? But like, I think it is worth saying that there were lots of ways in which this book as far as I'm aware, at the very least, like really was kind of pushing some boundaries on what was acceptable for women to do at the time. And I think that that is worth something, even if it's feminism doesn't necessarily like hold up to our standards today, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree. I think that it definitely was for the time period. But it's also interesting to me because I think you sent me did both Roxane Gay and Carmen Maria Machado write something about Little Woman? Uh, it was Zora Neale Hurston and Carmen Maria Machado and a whole list of authors. There's I thought Roxane Gay also had something. I don't know, though. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a whole group of authors out here who really love this book. And a lot of feminist authors. Yeah, feminist authors. Notab- yeah. <laughs> but a lot of the reasons that I was seeing it was the fact that like the March girls felt like girls that you could be friends with and like mm-hmm. they felt very much like girls that you would want to spend your time with and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to find that yeah. article. Yeah. I also will link some stuff in the show notes. I want to link I think Maggie might be doing this one, but I want to link an NPR interview. Like there are a lot of really good critiques about this book and a lot of really good dialogues about various modern women who felt connected to this book. I think it's hard for Maggie and me, given the various factors that we've talked about on this podcast and like our various lifestyles and life experiences to relate a lot to the book and see it as something progressive. Yeah. And I think also that it's worth noting that when I was a kid and I read this, I think I did feel a lot of that way. Like, I think I did Mm -hmm. feel more connected to them. And I think I did want to like be their friend more. It was just that like going back to it as an adult, something just did not drive with me the same way. You know, like I remember liking this book. That was the reason I agreed when Harmony like (laughs) pitched this. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I liked Little Women. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Like I know that I've been negative this entire time, although I think I have been able to put some of it aside (laughs) to get to some like real criticism. But like I didn't go into this expecting to hate it, right? Like, I went into this because it's a classic for a reason, and everyone loves it for a reason, and, like, I used to love it, too. So, like, yeah, there's there's stuff here that's worthwhile. It just wasn't worthwhile for me as an individual. That is fair. That is very fair. Okay, is there anything, do we do anything else at the end of book series that I'm forgetting about? I don't think so. We have to talk about what we're reading right now and what our homework is, though. I'm still reading the same thing I was reading, like, an hour ago. (laughs) Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. So I'm also still reading The Memory Police, obviously, but I'm, I didn't say everything I was reading. I'm also reading The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins. And I'm reading The Burning White by Brent Weeks. Oh, yes. Maggie has posted about that on our Instagram. I have. I waited a really long time for this book. And it's like wrapping up the entire series. And it's like double the size of all the other books. And it's like, it's real good, y'all. It's it's re- real good. <laughs> um, What are we going to be reading next, Mags? Uh, fuck. I don't know. Do I need to pull up the schedule? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because I don't remember what the first episode back is i don't remember what the oh well wait no it's it's still little woman because you want to do a movie review (laughs) oh yeah that's true that's true our first step but we're gonna do a movie movie review um you'll maybe hear a guest star maybe you'll hear two guest stars if i can get kev kev to join that will be fun i will not be present in that episode so everyone else can have fun yeah it's okay neither of the people who um i'm planning on seeing the movie with have read little woman before (laughs) I thought that Bethany would. She seems like she would, but nope. But our next book episode, well, after this, we're taking a break because you know what? We need some rest time. And then our next book episode after the movie is going to be Lilith's Brood, I believe. Yes. Yes. So Lilith's Brood is a trilogy bind up by Octavia E. Butler, who was like the pioneering black woman, essentially, who broke into science fiction and like totally blew 
their worlds apart. Uh, Lilith's Brood is a trilogy bind up. The first book is called Dawn. We're going to do three episodes, one for each book, because the individual books are relatively short. So for those of you who can get your hands on it, Dawn by Octavia Butler is going to be our next like full length book situation. Yes. And we have an article that shares all of that, that it will post in the show notes too. So you guys can see exactly what we're doing. And we're going to break it up kind of like we did Little Woman. Yep. Quick disclaimer, neither Maggie and I are particularly fond of science fiction, so it will be interesting to read. But we really wanted to read Butler. She seems so cool, so. (laughs) It's true, and this is a cool premise. Yes. Yes. All right. Anything else? Oh, homework? Oh, yeah, homework. I don't know. Harmony, do you have homework? I'm going to... I'm... Well... For those that don't know, hopefully this is still true by the time this episode airs. I'm going to China soon, so I'm going to spend more time with my female humans, my female peeps here in the States. That's going to be my homework, especially because, you know, it's the holidays and it's all about spending time with people you care about. It's true. It's true. Harmony is actually coming to see me next week. We will physically be together, folks. It's amazing. (laughs) I don't know if I have any homework. I'm honestly just so relieved to like not have to think about this book again for a little while that like I I, I, it's really overtaken everything (laughs) else for me. Yeah. I don't know. I can't like I'm not going to see my family anytime soon because I just saw my family. They live 3000 miles away. My husband's gone right now. So I can't I can't take any of the family morals with me at the moment, you know, like. But you'll see me, so you can also see one of your girls. That's true. I'm going to see Harmony next week. That's my homework, is to see Harmony. And I'm your child, so it is like seeing your family. It's true. It's true. You had me before you were conceived. Okay. All right. Bye, friends. We'll get going now. Talk to you next week. Bye. You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Days. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.